This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Starting today, James is coming on board staff one day a week as our new Connect coordinator. So I'm going to ask him a few questions about that. Many of you know him, but if you don't, we'll get to know him a bit more. So James, who's in your family? Where do you live? How long have you been coming to Anchor and what GC are you part of? So I'm married to the beautiful Katie, who's here somewhere. Um, We live in Eastwood. We've been part of the Erskineville Gospel community since coming to Anchor. And we came over to make Anchor home in January of last year. Um, So we moved over and uh, part of the reason we came was so that I could uh, do the internship as well. Awesome. And can you tell us... What was one big takeaway from the internship you did last year? Yeah, uh, I learned a lot of things, but uh, one big takeaway for me was that I was really challenged uh, to build my faith and my ministry on gospel foundations. So understanding who I am in Jesus because of what he's done for me and kind of letting everything I do um, flow out of that place of identity Um, and acceptance in Christ. So, yeah, that was really great, great reminder. Um, And can you tell us a bit more about this role as Connect Coordinator? I know that you've been doing a bit of that when you were an intern. What does it involve? What will you be doing? Yeah, so I'll be helping to oversee the Connect Ministries, so uh, welcoming new people, um, building relationships, uh, helping people who are visiting and exploring to find out if Anchor is uh, the church that they want to call home. Uh, working with the Connect team, running Connect courses. So basically just all about welcoming people, helping them find a home here with us, um, if that's what they want, and um, yeah, helping them integrate into our family and into our community here. Awesome. And what are you most excited about as you start this role? I think I'm most excited about uh, seeing people come and find a home here with us Um, But taking it a step further, seeing people then start to flourish uh, in community. Um, So really finding a home, building relationships, um, beginning to receive love from people, giving love, living out the gospel um, in community, and yes, spurring each other on to be witnesses for Jesus. Um, Yeah, just for his name and for his glory in our city. So that's what I'm excited about. And we're so thankful to James. He's going to be actually volunteering an extra day a week. So paid one day, volunteering an extra day while he continues to study at SMBC. So I'm going to pray for James. So please join me as I pray. Father, we thank you so much for James, that you've brought him into your family, that you've adopted him as your child, and uh, he's come to know Christ as his saviour. And thank you for his heart to serve your people and to serve Anchor Church, and that you've um, brought him and Katie to be with us, part of our church family, and that they got to do the internship last year, and all that James learnt as he did that. And Father, I pray that as he takes on this Connect coordinator role, that you would strengthen him for that task, give him great energy and great love for people, and um, the ability to keep building that Connect team, and we pray that Anchor would be a really welcoming church where people do find a home and really flourish as part of our body. So we hand him over to you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Thanks, James. We're so excited. Let's give James a clap.
I just wanted to read from you to you from John uh, chapter 15, verse 4, and Jesus says this. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in the vine. You abide in me. So that's an amazing reminder of, you know, no matter what we want to achieve this year, what we want to do, what our responsibilities are, what our New Year's resolutions are, first and foremost, we need to spend time abiding in Christ. And as a church family, we really want to grow in our habit of spending time in God's Word and in prayer this year. And so to help that, we've put together this new resource. I've got my hands full, so I'm going to put a few things down. This is our Abide Journal. So we're going to launch this today. Um, It's got a one-year Bible reading plan in it and also some suggestions of methods you can use to study God's Word. And it's full of blank pages so that you can be journaling. And we're selling these for $10 at the Connect Desk. And there's a few people that have taken this home early and have been using it. And one of those people is Amy Pratton. So I'm going to invite her up on stage and I'm going to ask her what it's been like spending time in God's Word using this journal. So let's give her a clap. Hey, Amy. Good to see you. So why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, um, how long you've been coming to Anchor, what GC you're part of, and what you get up to through the week. So I joined Anchor two years ago, and I'm from the Chippo GC. Um, And throughout the week, you'll find me studying. So I'm doing my Master's of Nutrition and Dietetics. I have one year left. And if I'm not doing that, I'm selling soap at QVB. So you can come visit me at Lush. Nice. Uh, And so you've been using this Abide Journal for the last month. And can you tell us, has journaling and being God's Word journaling been a regular practice for you already? Um, So, yeah, so journaling's been a really important part for me of spending time with God. And for me, journaling is less documenting everything that happens, and it's more become collecting, um, collecting, like, truth. So for me, if I've read a cool verse, or if God's spoken to me through somebody else, or if I've just found a really cool quote that shows me more about him or myself, I'll just write it down. And it's also a way of just um, intentionally praying for me. Um, So yeah, it's just a way to make his voice really loud. So can you tell us, what have you liked about using this journal? How have you found that helpful? So for me, Abide was cool. It gives you a method called the REAP method. And what I loved was it encourages you that it's not just about Bible absorption. It's about Jesus speaking to you through his word. So there's a real emphasis on inviting him in before you start. Um, And as well, I love, I think what I've been challenged by is it really pushes you to explore what you're reading. So instead of just for me, which I do, skipping to how does this apply to my life? Who am I? It's about what's happening? Who is God? What can I ask about the text? So I think it makes um, his word like dwell more deeply. Yeah. So awesome. And what have you been reading in God's word this past month? And what do you think God's been revealing to you from his word? Uh, God's been speaking through Psalm 73. And it's about, it's David. 
and he's kind of starting with a bit of a rant about what he's seeing, and he's seeing all of these people around him. Um, they seem to be thriving without God, and they're like doing fine. And I think he's a bit bitter about, about that. And then he gets to verse 17, and he says, this is how I felt until I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood. And so I think for me, um, sanctuary for him meant entering into a, a temple, and then he could meet with God. But um, sanctuary for me is anytime I want, because um, Jesus made that possible. So I think what I love is that no matter what's going on in the chaos, I always have a place I can enter into, um, and then I can understand God's perspective. Yeah. That's so cool. Thank you, Amy. Let's give her a clap. <laughs> you can grab a seat if you want. Um, so $10, you can grab one over morning tea at the Connect desk. You can use cash or push pay, but two very lucky people today might have one under their seat. So why don't you just go and check under your seat? You might have a free Abide journal. Put your hand up if you got it. Anyone, anyone? Maybe you should check the spare seats around you. Woo, I can see one. Yes, awesome. <laughs> okay, well, I hope you can really make use of that. Get into God's word. For all you perfectionists out there, I know it's the 7th of Jan and we've already missed a whole week. It's okay. You can start today. You can use it how you want. You can commit to reading the whole Bible in one year or you can just dwell on a number of books, however you like. I'm going to invite Anato up now and we're going to jump into our series in on resolutions. Hey guys, how are we? Happy New Year? Yeah. Hashtag New Year, New Me. Uh, my name is Arnaldo. I am on staff here at Anchor Church. I uh, am the equipped pastor and I look after our kids program as well. And I just want to invite uh, I want to welcome, rather, you're already here. Uh, I want to welcome you here uh, and just say Happy New Year. We are really pleased that you can join us uh, today and that you would decide to, in 41 degree heat, uh, enjoy our air conditioning. But um, you should appreciate this. I wore jeans today because I'm preaching and I'm suffering for you. <laughs> just so you know. Uh, now, uh, today, we're starting our resolution series, which uh, a lot of us, you know, we have a mixed uh, relationship with resolutions, New Year's resolutions. I get that. I, um, I understand that there are probably uh, two kinds of people here today, and I don't mean to disrespect you by categorizing you, especially if I don't know you, but there, uh, in, in my ex uh, experience, there's been ab about two people. Uh, one, the person A, re has really believed in their New Year's resolution. They hashtag it, they go get a gym membership, it's all great, those are all good things. I'm not having a slam, I'm not having a go at you. Uh, but it's cute that um, so often, come January, there's this sort of mythical force or, 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 or idea about January. It's going to happen in January. And then there are others who are older, maybe, a little less dumb and maybe a little more bitter and who just have put away with New Year's resolutions. You don't do them, you don't believe in them. And, and so the, the question is, wherever you land on that spectrum of, yes, I commit to New Year's resolutions, or I think they're the stupidest thing in the world, wherever you land, we all 
in whether it's January or March, we all make changes. We all resolve to be kinds of people. And the question is this, who are we becoming? What kind of people are we becoming? What kind of people? Because whether you make it in January or February or March or April, we all make decisions that will alter who we are. And the question is this, Are our decisions flowing out of the scriptures? Are they flowing out of the Bible? Are they flowing out of a heart that desires the kingdom of God over against the kingdom of self? So today, we're going to be looking at resolutions and change and the gospel. And I want to read to you just one verse in uh, Corinthians. It'll be behind me as well, 2 Corinthians 3.18. I'll read that for you, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get stuck right into it. 2 Corinthians 3.18. 18 says this, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Let me pray. Father, we thank you again for who you are. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you've given us enough health and enough energy to be here. We pray for those who don't have the energy or the health to be here with us this morning. We pray for healing there. And we ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would visit us in your glory and in your majesty this morning. That the words that I speak will be helpful. That you would help me to forget the things that will be unhelpful for your people today. And that you will help me to remember those that will build your people up and that will bring people from death to life. And I thank you, Lord, for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So again, I want to state the question very clearly. Some of us have already failed our news resolutions, those who've made it. Now, I have not. I haven't had any kale yet, so I'm smashing my New Year's resolution. I decided to go the other way this year, and I'm winning. It's helping. But the question is this. Are, are, we, thinking, are we thinking biblically about our discipleship to Jesus? Or, or a better word than discipleship, I, I have been enjoying is apprentice. Are we gearing our lives? Are we gearing our decisions? Are we gearing our resolutions this year so that we can grow in our apprenticeship to Jesus? The reason why I like the word apprentice is because it has more physical and material connotations. It's not just about knowing something, but it's about being someone. It's about letting the truth of the gospel, letting the truth of the scriptures go through the head and into the heart, out of the hands and into the bones, into the gut, and we do something with it. And so, are our decisions flowing out of a desire to apprentice ourselves to Jesus? That is the question. See, because this is what we need to understand. We don't have to wait until January to change. We're all changing all the time. We're much more like a river than we are a lake. We're always changing. We are what uh, uh, philosopher James K.A. Smith calls theological animals, which means that we all have an aim. We all have a goal. We all have desires. We all have wants. And we make our decisions based on those goals, on those wants, on what we think is the picture of the good life. Now, if we get our picture of the good life from our culture versus scripture, then our resolutions are going to mimic more so and mirror our culture around us than the scriptures. He says this, James K. Smith, he says, to be human is to be on a quest. 
To live, simply to live, to be breathing, is to be embarked on a kind of unconscious journey toward a destination of your dreams. You can't not be headed somewhere. We live leaning forward, bent on arriving at the place we long for. We're all changing. We don't have to wait till January. This is what you need to do to change. You need to wake up and that's it. Just, I, I want to give you an example. This little phone here, plastic and metal, has drastically changed the way we think. It has changed our brain chemistry. It changes the way that we inhabit our world. In fact, what it does, it, it, it often more than anything, inhabits us. Studies have shown that our memory collectively is gone down. Why? Because we don't need to remember anything. We can just Google it. And now we don't even need to type. Just get Alexa and you can just speak it. And it's done. We don't need to go out to the shop so often because there's Uber Eats now. It's, it, our world is changing and this is, this is what we need to understand. Everything that we do, see, we pretend that we are some, obje you know, we're objective actors in the world, but everything that we do is actually doing something to us. So we don't need to wait for January 1st to change. We're always changing. The question is, what is guiding that change? What is pushing and pulling that change? Tony Rank has wrote a great little book called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. I felt guilty the whole time, but he says this, our phones amplify our addiction to distractions. Just think about this. You know, you're on Facebook, and you do know that when you receive a little red bubble, you get a small shot of dopamine in your brain. It makes you feel good. It's addictive. And so you, you're on Facebook, you're scrolling along, but you know there's, there's the gram, and you need to get on the gram. You need to check what's happening on the gram. So you go on the gram, but then you get a Snapchat notification, and you've got to check the stories. But while you're doing that, you know something happened on Facebook. You've got to go back. And then you go back on the gram, and over and over again, we are addicted. We become addicted to distraction. Our phones, they feed our immediate need of approval. Now listen, this is all just to say that if we think we are some objective actors in the world, you need to understand that what we do does something to us. Everything is doing something to us. And this is the point, that we are not static, but we are dynamic creatures. We're always moving, and we need to realize that the things we do are doing something to us. We're becoming somebody. But the question is, are we becoming apprentices of Jesus or are we becoming apprentices of our culture? That is the question. Now, let me just stay right off the bat. And if I, I should have said this maybe earlier, but resolutions are not a bad thing. Resolutions are not a bad thing. I know I may have slammed a couple of you guys, but resolutions are not a bad thing. In fact, even uh, King David, January 1, about 1000 BC, he said this. I may have gotten the date wrong. I will sing of the steadfast love and justice. I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. I will walk with integrity of heart. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. He is making resolutions. He's saying, I will be this kind of person. I will do this. And even Jonathan Edwards, a great theologian, the greatest mind that America has ever produced. And I know maybe right now that doesn't seem like much, but the greatest mind that America has ever produced, the founder of Yale University, he said this about his resolutions. He said, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him 
by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions. He had 70 resolutions. 70. So far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. So, again, the question is, how can we desire the right things so that we make resolutions like that? So that our life is shaped around our discipleship to Jesus, our apprenticeship to Jesus. How can we change that that becomes our driving motivation in this world? Our discipleship, our apprenticeship, our apprenticeship to Jesus. That's the question. How can we be resolved to be more intentional about that in 2018? And that's our question for today. Now, a lot of what I'm going to say here today is, is heavily influenced by this Portland pastor called John Mark Comer. I couldn't say anything uh, without giving a nod to him. That would be bad. Uh, Dallas Willard and James K. Smith, they've all been really helpful. Now, I want to uh, show you something up here. Now, this is a triangle. No, we are not a part of the Illuminati. Uh, but Dallas Willard has this little, uh, he's a philosopher, the late Dallas Willard, he has this, uh, uh, this little graph of, of what are the dynamics, what is the ecosystem of change, what do we need to know, what do we need to do in order to change into the image of Christ. If 2 Corinthians 3.18 is going to be real for us this year, that we're going to be changed into the image of Jesus Christ, what will we need? And first is going to be the Spirit, and the Spirit's at the center. The Spirit brings about the change. I want to read to you again 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says this, And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And the first thing we need to understand, if we're going to change this year into the image of Christ, in increasing glory is this, is that it comes from the Spirit. This is not about self-help. This is not about self-improvement. This is about abiding in the Word, abiding in community and in our practices so that the Spirit can do the work in us to change us into Christ. And growth for all of us is going to be excruciatingly slow. But it's growth. And the Lord, this, who is the Spirit, brings this about the message says this uh, beautifully, 2 Corinthians 3.18. says, And so we are transfigured, much like the Messiah, that's Jesus, our lives, listen to this, I love this, gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives by the Spirit and we become like Him. And so, Anchor, this year we need to abide in the Scriptures and abide in the Spirit because the Spirit is the one who's going to bring the growth. But also, just at the top of the triangle, we see that we need teaching. And Romans 12.2, if you can turn with me there, it'll be behind us as well. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And this is what Paul, the writer of that, is saying. He's saying that we need to fill our minds. Meditation uh, for Christians is not so much emptying the mind, but filling the mind with God's truth. And that's why it's so incredibly important to abide in the Word, because this is what's going to shape our imagination, and our imagination is going to shape our desires, and our desires are going to shape what we do and the decisions that we make in the way that we inhabit the world. Again, I love the way Eugene Peterson 
uh, just displays this. He says this, Romans 12, 2. He says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. We have this ability that we deny, that we know what God wants us to do. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. We need truth. We need our minds to be renewed. And that's why theology matters and doctrine matters, and it should be exciting. And I'm sorry if it hasn't been. But theology, the Word of God, what, who God is and how He works in the world and how He's working in you should be the most exciting thing in the world. But the problem is not with the Scriptures, it's with our palates. We taste it and it tastes bitter to us sometimes. And so we pray that God would renew our palates and that we would find life and joy in His Word. But also we need community. This is not... Uh, done in isolation. 2 Corinthians 3.18, again, it begins by saying, and we with unveiled faces. There is no such thing. It would be inconceivable to Paul and to Luke and to, it would be inconceivable to think that you can be a growing and healthy and maturing Christian outside of community. We need each other. And that's why here at Anchor, we are so passionate about our gospel communities and we're so passionate about our triplets. You know, I've grown in so many ways because I have been so in, in such close relationship with some people that they see me, they see my faults, they see my sins. I remember one time I was just uh, spe speaking to someone and uh, it was a nice conversation. It turned real sober real quick. And he said to me, you know, do you find your identity? It seems like with what you're saying, you're finding your identity in what you do over above what other people do. And so we're not friends anymore, but it was great. Uh, and he, we're friends, we're very good friends. But um, through that experience, through that humbling, through that, uh, uh, my own sin being shown to me in community, I have grown. And we need each other. There is no way possible that we can grow and mature in our faith apart from the body of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to be here, but you need to be a part of some community that is going to get into your face, that is going to see you for who you are and still love you. See, this person for me, he wasn't judging me. He didn't put me down. He said, listen, I see this in you, but I see better. I see you, and I know what God is doing in your life, and I'm calling you to, to, do, to be better to drive yourself deeper into the gospel. This wasn't a way for him to make himself better than me. It was a way for him to love me. And there was no way that that can happen if we're outside of community. But also, we need practice. I want to turn to Luke, uh, Luke 640 uh, really quickly for you. And I want to just show you that there, uh, Jesus uh, was um, uh, speaking to, he was, he was giving a parable. And he said this, he also told them a parable. This is Luke uh, 6, 40, 39. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Answer, no. Will they, not both fall, will they not both fall into a pit? And this is it. A disciple 
is not above his teacher. His, uh, an apprentice is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And our goal, our motivating uh, 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 impulse here is that we would be fully trained apprentices, disciples of Jesus. And that means that we're all on different scales. If there can be a fully trained one, that means that there are some impartially trained ones. And we're all at different stages in our discipleship to Jesus. But we need to practice. It's about practice. This is not just we know something and therefore do it. It is uh, perfectly. It's about practicing what we preach. And uh, we're going to be going to the Sermon on the Mount soon, and uh, that's uh, um, uh, Matthew 5 to 7. And at the end of 7, it's very interesting that Jesus says this. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, so we, we, we've often thought about it as high and lofty, and it's, just, it's an ideal that, that maybe some people can reach. But in fact, the way that the Sermon on the Mount ends is Jesus says, those who put this into practice, those who practice this, this is going to take a long time for us to live as kingdom people. But also 1 Corinthians 9 says this, 1 Corinthians 9, 25 says this, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, a prize that perishes, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not beat, uh, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And there's a difference. Paul here is talking about training. But so often when we go to our resolutions, whether it's reading the Bible in a year or praying, we, we don't train hard, but we try hard. And that makes all the difference. Let's say, has anyone run a marathon here? I know there's one person. Where are you, Danny? Oh, two. There you go. A couple people have run. How, how long is a marathon again in kilometers? 42 point too much. <laughs> now, let's say you woke up. January 2nd, and you said, you know what? I'm going to run this marathon. And you wake up, January 3rd is the marathon, let's just pretend here, and you go, and you try really hard. You go to Rebel, you get the right shoes, you get the tights, you get your number, everything. And you try really hard to run that marathon. You're going to die. Even if you bring all your gospel community with you, hand you water as you run along, you're dead. <laughs> but what if you wake up January 2nd and you say, you know what, this year I'm going to train really hard. I'm going to go for a long run and a short run and I'm going to increase every single week. I'm going to take a week off here and there. And, and then by the end of the year, the end of 12 months, 18 months, it's still going to be hard for you to run 42.2 much kilometers. But you'll be the kind of person who can do it. Not because you've tried really hard, but because you've trained really hard. And some of us may get a bit shaky here where we think, oh, hold on, doesn't, th th does that mean that uh, uh, I'm adding to my salvation? Now, I I've made something here for you because uh, what we need to understand is there's often a large gap between what we know and what we do. 
We may know that something is bad for us, and yet we still persist and we continue because we try hard to stop, but we don't train hard to stop. And this was me last year. This is a picture of me. Last year, I promise you guys. (laughs) Thank you, Josh. And I tried really hard to be healthy, but Krispy Kremes is a 7-Eleven right up the block, and it, it was bad for me. I was trying really hard, but failing all the time. That's 2017, right? There's new year, new me. But we don't need to try hard to become disciples, but we do train hard. And so often we think, am I adding something to my salvation? Uh, Dallas Willard said this, which is incredibly helpful, grace. Grace, this free gift of grace in the gospel that says that you are a beloved son and daughter of Christ is given to you as a gift by faith, uh, by grace through faith. That's very clear. But grace, he says, is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Effort is an action while earning is an attitude. Two people can be doing the exact same thing. They can be waking up at 5 a.m. to pray and read. One person is doing it because they want to become apprentices of Jesus. The other person is doing it because they think they can gain the Father's approval. So this is not about earning anything, but it is about exerting our will and partnering with God as we seek to behold the glory of God and be transformed. That's a passive. You, you are transformed. You don't do the transforming. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it's, it's a passive uh, a, a verb. It's not that you do the transforming, but you are being transformed as you behold the glory of God. St. Augustine of Hippo, 1,600 years ago, this uh, African bishop, uh, he said this. He said that without, should be, without God, we can't. But without us, he won't. Without God, we can't. But without us, he won't. But all this happens, the spirit, teaching, community, practice, all this happens through ordinary life and suffering. We need to come to terms with where we are in life. He, Dallas Willard says this, this is, it opened my eyes. He says, we must accept the circumstances we constantly find ourselves in. Now listen, I love my kids. You know, I love my kids. Uh, but it's hard. I mean, it's, it's hard when, uh, you know, they're crazy and they're moody and they're like me. It's just terrible. And so often I found myself thinking, oh, life would be uh, just one night without these kids. And then I, re- I remember reading this one night and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. That God is calling me not to something else, but he's calling me to my kids. He's calling me to my wife. He's calling me to my church. He's calling me to my present circumstances. We must accept the circumstances we constantly find ourselves in as the place of God's kingdom and blessing wherever you are. God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. And if we faithlessly discard situation after situation, moment after moment, as not being right, you know, the, the kids grow up, then I'll do this. Then I'll, I'll, I'll uh, form habits. Or, or if I get married, then I'll really do ministry. Or, or if we faithlessly discard situation after situation, moment after moment, as not being right, we will simply have no place 
to receive the kingdom into our lives. For those situations and moments are our life. Everything that's going on in your, whether it's study, work, relationships, anything that you're doing, that is your life. And that is where God in the Spirit wants to meet you. That is the only place you can be transformed into the image of Christ. And so we need to embrace these things. I'm not saying that they, you know, if you're in an abusive relationship that you need to embrace that, you need to leave. You need, uh, I, I'm, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, generally speaking, we need to embrace the situations wherein the mundane, the boring, the hard, and flourish where he puts us. James 1-2 says this, James, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. What? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, that's not saying, very clear, that's not saying that you will be without sin. What it's saying is that you will be mature. You will be who you are supposed to be in Christ. So even suffering can either make you bitter or better. But we, it's our job to partner with God so that we can become better and not bitter. And so, even suffering can be leveraged, and it's often a catalyst for our growth. And so we need all of these things. We need the whole triangle. We need to know that the Spirit is at the very center of our growth because it's the Lord who gives the growth. We need to know that we need to fill our minds and renew our minds with God's truth. We need this in community. We need to practice our faith. This isn't about giving it a crack, failing, and putting it on the back shelf. This is going to take a lifetime of practice. And in fact, this is exactly what we see in the life of Jesus, spirit as his, as his primary environment. You know, when we have the spirit as our primary environment, he becomes the compass, he becomes the ballast, where when we are anywhere, we are in the presence of the spirit. So when you're filling out that application at uni and it asks for your address, the spirit. You know, when you're, when you're looking for that rental, where, where do you, the spirit. When that becomes your primary, when he, when he becomes your primary environment, we flourish. But we also need, again, teaching as right thinking and believing, uh, community as a catalyst for change, practices as embodied training, not trying for change. And this is exactly what we see in the life of Jesus. Jesus was the most spirit-filled person who ever lived. Jesus had to go away, and he practiced his faith. He prayed. He Sabbathed. He went to the synagogue. He joined with the people of God. He taught and believed rightly. He built a community of disciples, and he lived 30 quiet years of the most ordinary and boring life. And it was there that he was formed to go to the cross. It was there that he was formed and go to the cross. So this new year, I want to challenge us now to really think about our resolutions. I want to challenge us to really think 
about how we can be formed into the kind of people that make the kind of resolutions that speak more of His glory than our abs or our bank accounts. All good things, all good things. But do they serve the purposes of your apprenticeship to Jesus and mission in the world? So I want to lead us in something that Christians have been doing for thousands of years. I want to pray a prayer together. So if you're comfortable to join me, it's, it's from the Valley of Vision, a book of Puritan prayers. And I want to pray this prayer about the new year. And I want this to be sort of a, like a, a recalibration of our hearts, a recalibration of our minds, a recalibration of our guts so that we can follow after Jesus in 2018. So it'll be behind me. And I'd love for you to pray this with me. Oh Lord, length of days does not profit me. Except the days are passed in thy presence, in thy service, to thy glory. Give me a grace that precedes, follows, guides, sustains, sanctifies, aids every hour, that I may not be one moment apart from thee, but may rely on thy spirit to supply every thought, speak in every word, direct every step, prosper every work, build up every mote of faith, and give me a desire to show forth thy praise, testify thy love, advance thy kingdom. I launch my bark on the unknown waters of this year with thee, O Father, as my harbor, with thee, O Son, at my helm, with thee, O Spirit, filling my sails. Guide me to heaven with my loins girt, my lamp burning, my ear open to thy calls, my heart full of love, my soul free. Give me thy grace to sanctify me, thy comforts to cheer, thy wisdom to teach, thy right hand to guide, thy counsel to instruct, thy law to judge, and thy presence to stabilize. May the fear, may thy fear be my awe, thy triumphs my joy. May this be true of us in 2018. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.